Hello. Hello. Industry. 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 Hi, and welcome to Industry Tactics. I'm Friendly Rich, your loyal host. And on the podcast today, none other than Homer Flynn, the founding member and co-owner of the Crypto Corporation. The Crypto Corporation are known as the management, PR, and production arm of the legendary cult musical group, The Residents. And for those of you who are new to The Residents, they've been around for 50 years, making some of the most subversive music you'll ever hear. Uh, they do it all under a shroud of anonymity. They wear these giant eyeballs on their heads. It's amazing stuff. I'd urge you to go to Residents.com to learn more about this amazing group. And you can check out the new book that we reference a few times in this conversation with Homer Flynn. It's called A Sight for Sore Eyes, Volume 1. What an honor to have Homer on the podcast. I'm super thankful. Um, I remember getting into the residence, you know, in my teens. My my good friend Matt, whose birthday it is today. Shout out to Matt and uh, go to shinypliers.com to learn more about his illustrations. Matt got me into the residence and the rest is history. Uh, it changed my life, you know, it got me into the weird stuff. And um, yeah, if you want to learn more about that weird stuff, I just put a record out called Friendly Rich Plays John Cage, 72 minutes of, of relative silence to gum up the gears of uh, Spotify. I hope you're digging that recording and there's more to come from my side later this year. But for now, enjoy this episode 145 of Industry Tactics, my incredible chat with none other than Homer Flynn. to Industry Tactics. Friendly Rich here with none other than Homer Flynn from the Cryptic Corporation. It's a great honor to have you on the podcast. Uh, yeah, well, Rich, it's, um, it's, it's great to be here. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. You know, we're 145 episodes in, and I think I cite the residents in like at least 50 or 60% of the episodes where we talk about underground music, outsider art, um, coming at music from maybe different angles, like visual art. I think of the Nyla Spasm Band when I talked to them, right? Um, that was episode 76. Or I talked to the Ronaldo and the Loaf, um, friends of yours, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. episode 28. And people coming at music from a different angle usually makes a really interesting uh, treat in the end. And I, I feel that a lot of that theory for me derives from listening to the residents and I don't know, can you, do, do I have anything there in that theory? Uh, in your opinion, I want to test it with you. Um, well, I mean, basically are you asking how the residents may or may not have influenced other people? Uh, 
very much so that but i'm i'm really talking about the angle of coming at music from i don't want to say uh i don't want to in, use insulting words like a naivete but uh, almost a the visual art I- impact of the residents that creativity coming at it i assume that the residents weren't classically trained or is that the wrong assumption no they were they were not classically trained and and personally i think that uh the outsider reference um, is very valid myself. I mean, and when they started, they really realized that they had this outsider perspective and, um, and felt like at a minimum that could allow them or enable them to do something that was very original, you know, they weren't going to follow the rules because they didn't know what the rules were. Uh, so they had to come at it from a from an original and different point of view. And you know, the, the primary tool for them um, from this perspective really is the multi-track tape recorder. I mean, you know, they they were never particularly attached to musical instruments. I mean, you know, I mean, they could sit there and mash on keys on a keyboard and get things done like that, but. There's never any sense of expertise or that even necessarily being that important. I mean, it taught so many of us what music could be. It kind of defined what weirdo underground experimental music could be. But it's I often say it's like there's an ugliness in the music and I love ugly. But there's also a real beauty and, and, and there's melody and yeah. I don't know, it's, it's all in there, right? But you're, the, the residence's voice is so unique. I wonder, who are they drawing on? I hear the, the, the Frank Zappa, the Sun Ra, the Harry Parch influences, but who, who do you feel paved the way for them? Who do you feel that they were really tapping into when it came to that? Was there a, a road paved for them? Uh, well, you know... In addition to music, they were certainly influenced by filmmakers and writers. And um, uh-huh. I certainly know that um, Kurt Vonnegut was someone at one point who was highly influential upon them. And, uh, you know, wow. part of what's interesting about the residents is their willingness to em- embrace the dark side of something. But I think what they really liked about Vonnegut, because he never had any problem with that either. Right. But at the same time, he was always able to, one, find a sense of humor to it, and, and also try to see what, what glimmer of silver lining could be found around the edges of a you know, huge whirlpool of darkness. Isn't that true? Eh? I just saw that Robert Weedy documentary on Vonnegut that I've been waiting uh, patiently for a decade. You probably saw it as well. No, no, no. I wasn't aware of that. Actually, it's 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 it been thirty years in the making. Like he followed him around for the last thirty years of his life. But in Vonnegut's writing is so much humor and mm-hmm. darkness. But without that humor, and when you just look at his life the life that he had to endure um you're there's so much darkness that the humor is what got him through it and um fascinating yeah yeah absolutely i mean without the humor it's bleak that's it that's it is humor a big part of like i feel like humor in the residence um it, it feels how important is humor in in the music well humor is important but what what is truly important to the residents is a wide range of emotion. 
And, right. you know, right. for, for, from their point of view, humor, humor is one of those emotions and, and they certainly like to use it. Um, I think in the early times, yeah, maybe their humor was more blatant and they kind of felt like they were getting labeled as the, you know, a Spike Jones of rock and roll or whatever. And sure. they didn't really like that. I mean, okay. uh, they just felt like that element was being singled out too much in a way that they didn't really relate to. Mm-hmm. And so I think consequently their humor became more subtle. Um, but nonetheless, it's, it's definitely there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and re- rebellion seems like another thread through through the, through the music or just even the DIY culture of the way that the residents have endured have 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 done their thing all these years you know yeah well i mean um DIY absolutely for sure you know um i think first off on one hand they were afraid that they were so uh unskilled mm-hmm. musically mm-hmm. they kind of felt like well nobody's going to take them, take us that seriously anyway you know right. in terms of like a record label right um right. Right. Uh, so we really have to do this ourselves and mm-hmm. um and in in retrospect um there's a lot of plus to that but there's a certain downside too I mean, um, in, in in that you're doing it all yourself, right? <laughs> like it's a well, the first DIY. Off, first off, you yeah. have to do it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the same yeah. time, there can be a certain advantage to having yeah. bigger companies with more resources invested in your product. Right. Uh, right. You know, that can give it more exposure. That can give it more longevity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, 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 it's not like. Yeah, it's not like working with a big company is necessarily a bad thing. Thanks for saying that. I mean, the idea of the theory of obscurity, right? Um, as you age, what does obscurity look like for you? Like, have you have your perceptions on that changed over time of what that means? Yeah, they've definitely changed. I mean, you know, I mean, the residents kind of felt like once they could read a review of one of their albums and Rolling Stone or whatever, you yeah. know, well, theory of obscurity really no longer uh, is valid in the same way. Right. Um, right. But, you know, they've been at this for 50 years and 50 years you have, you have a lot of ups and downs. Sure. And they've had periods of downs where they felt like, well, you know, nobody's paying that much attention to us anymore. <laughs> we can right. kind of go back and do theory of obscurity again. And, uh-huh. So mm-hmm. in, in certain ways, I think maybe it, it kind of resurrected itself for them. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. At, at, at different times. Is is the idea of legacy important in in the universe of the residents? Do you think? Um. Well, I don't know how much it is in terms of the residents. I mean. Um, uh, you know, as as president of the Cryptic Corporation, yeah, it, it it it's important to me because I feel like I spend an awful lot of my time, <laughs> kind yeah. of like um, protecting and enabling and and building upon their legacy from yeah. a, from a business point of view. And you know, the more they do, the more legacy there is to have to take care of, <laughs> and uh, it, it, it sometimes can feel fairly overwhelming. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, that relationship you have with with the crypto corporation and you know I, I I'm really interested in in your day to day what what that might feel like in terms of yeah what is the this in this is a podcast called industry tactics like what does a typical day look like for you in terms of your work at the crypto corporation well um you know, I'm 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 the person who has uh, historically done not all of their graphics, but okay. you know, ninety to ninety five percent of it. Yeah, and wow. so all of these, you know, Cherry Red Records, mm-hmm. which is um, now a twenty five percent owner of the Crypto Corporation. Uh, you know, oh, you know, okay. I had a, a partner, Hardy Fox, who. Yeah. unfortunately passed away about uh three and a half years ago and yeah. so yeah um but he actually retired two years before that okay. and so um <clears throat> i had no desire to retire i i was enjoying what i'm doing yeah so um yeah, yeah. It, it, it it took me a while to enable his retirement along with finding enabling my own ongoing career um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um the outcome of that was Two companies, MVD, music video distributors on the East Coast, and Cherry Red in London, each yeah. buying Hardy's half. So I, oh. I have retained fifty percent, and each of them oh, wow. twenty-five percent. Okay. Um, and <laughs> Cherry Red has done a phenomenal job of creating this amazing reissue series. I, I'm seeing uh, it. Yeah, okay. the whole back catalog. It's so, great. You know. Yeah. That's helpful, right? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. When you talk about legacy and spreading it, sharing it, right? That's great. Yeah, it's, great. it's great to have that stuff still out there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. No, nobody's complaining about the income. Yeah. Um, okay, good, good. Can you talk a little bit about, about? Sorry, I was going to ask if you could talk a little bit about your your relationship with Hardy Fox and just um, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to ask this question, but I, I assume having. Sp- done that much time with a with a friend uh, uh, as as he and and a creative partner uh, just i don't know uh, how do you look back on that now three and a half years after losing him you know um well you know it i have mixed emotions and feelings around it all mm-hmm. i mean to to be completely honest mm-hmm. he, he's the best friend that i ever had oh. and um so you don't um, you don't replace relationships like that. No. Um, no. But at the same time, he had he was kind of done with the residence yeah. and uh, had grown increasingly distant over time, um, both both physically and emotionally. Right. Um, you know, we we used to go into the same office every day for yeah. I don't know, 30 years or something like that. Um, yeah. It had reached the point to where we, we saw each other once every month or two. I mean, we would exchange okay. emails and phone yeah. calls yeah. or whatever, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and with that physical distance came, you know, emotional distance too. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, once again, you know, you, you, you don't replace the the yeah. friendship, no. but, you know, I have been able to replace his 
yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Work, you know, his his position, you know. Um, basically, I'm a good collaborator. That's and, really interesting. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, um, the fact yeah. that he was gone has made room for a lot of other people okay. to get involved uh, okay. to collaborate. So, so in a lot of ways, uh, there's almost been a certain renaissance or, yeah. or, or resurrection. Yeah. Uh, and with him having become distant before that, yeah. his departure, you know, yeah. be- before he died kind of made room for that. Right. And, right. uh, right. Right. and that, from my perspective, that's been a good thing. I uh, know. I, pr- I appreciate your, your openness in that. You know, I didn't, I, I wasn't sure really how to ask it, but I, I know that I can't imagine, right. Like just, a creative partner for that many years, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I, I like the way that you framed that. If you're, you're never going to replace that. You're never going to yeah. replace that. I understand I mean, he, that. He, he and I were roommates together. Oh yeah. Right. As a freshman, um, at Louisiana tech in Ruston, Louisiana, which you probably never heard of. Um, and that no. was 19, that was 1963. Um, Holy shit. Holy you shit. know, that, that will be 60 years next year. So, uh, Oh my God. Um, what was it like growing up in Shreveport? That's where you grew up? Shreveport? I'm, I'm, I'm I'm from Shreveport. Yeah. You are. Okay. Ruston, where Louisiana tech is, is about 70 miles east of Shreveport. Okay. Uh, And you know, my mom is still around. Um, she's 96 years old. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, her health is not great, but, but overall she's doing pretty well. And I have a, uh, brother and sister back there. Okay. Okay. So I'm back there uh, usually once or twice a year, you know, her birthday's in October. So I always try to get back for her birthday. Yeah. Uh, but Shreveport honestly is about as middle America as you can get. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's a culture that is really dominated by fast food franchise mall culture. And, uh, and I live in San Francisco and, uh, that's not, that's, <laughs> I left there to get away from that. Oh, got, got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I was, cause I was going to kind of ask you like how Shreveport defines you today. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you carry from that upbringing there? You know, you know, I, 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 I tell people it's a great place to be from. Yeah. Nice. Um, nice. But you, you are San Francisco. San Francisco is where, where your heart is. Eh? Yeah. I, I moved, I moved here. Yeah. In 1969, so I have lived yeah. much more of my life yeah. uh, in right. San Francisco than, than I did right. back there. I heard from uh, I'm pals with those folks at the New Orleans Airlift, and um, mm-hmm. I know that you did an installation in collaboration with Frank yeah. Paul, yeah. who's also yeah. been on. He's been on this podcast, episode 120. Um, what was that like? Have you done a lot? Of, I, I assume you haven't done a lot of work back home in Louisiana. What was it like to do that kind of a collaboration after all those years? Um, it was good. Um, you know, my only re- regret with that, um, that happened at an extremely busy point for me. Okay. And um, so, um, so ultimately, you know, I had done some video stuff for one of the residents' performances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and ultimately that's what evolved into it. Oh, wow. Um and ultimately I never saw it. And that was my biggest disappointment. I went I oh. went I went back there mm-hmm. 
Uh, I don't know, about a month or two months, I think, after the installation. Yeah. Uh, and um, can you describe the installation or you didn't you didn't see the final? I guess you can't. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, um, they do. Houses. Right. Houses. The, music, the Music Box Village. I did a my Ph.D. dissertation on the Music Box Village. It's that's how I got okay. to connect with them. It's a it's a wondrous place in New Orleans. Yeah. 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 Uh, you, you know, they're they're compound there. Yeah. Uh, residents, residents did a performance there. I heard it was the first performance by the residents in New Orleans presented first by and, first our friends. And only. Yeah. It's first and yeah. only. Let's 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 mark that um, yeah. at the at the Music Box Village. Yeah. Amazing, amazing to hear that. Uh, it was it was it was stunning. You know, <laughs> nine hundred people showed up for it. I think On, I bet uh, they did, and um, much more. I think than they expected. And yeah, that's um, that's amazing. It was cool. It was great. It was it was a, it was a really interesting evening. Wow! Um, wow! But um, yeah, they 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 built one of their houses mm. in in Shreveport. Okay, and so. And so the uh, the residents the, the video installation was taking place, I think, on maybe several monitors within that house. Okay, and when, when when Homer says house, he's meaning they they build these musical houses. So it's uh, it's got a kind of like a a, a musical installation. Uh, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. But but anyway, you you couldn't go into it. You know, you you could only look through, I through windows and things. Uh-huh. So so it's like you're you're, you're seeing monitors <clears throat> with this video playing on it. Yeah, and it's very much of a a kind of a weird residence narrative uh, video. But okay. to get any any sense of it, I think maybe maybe the music played out or the sound of it played out, yeah. but you couldn't really see it without peeking through yeah. windows and. Okay. Uh, That's great to hear that. I mean, you say you're a very creative and co- I know that, but you're a very collaborative artist and that seems to shine through in a lot of this, right? Just getting a glimpse into some of that. It's, it's really beautiful to me. I mean, can you talk about that? Just the art of collaboration and you, you had you, you hadn't met Frank Paul before that or had you? Um, I, I had done a presentation in Shreveport. Okay. Several months or a year or so before. I mean, um, wow. to, to, to contextualize this a little bit, uh, it's like, you know, once again, I left there in 1969. I've always yeah, yeah. Yeah. gone back to visit my family and whatever. Right. And, and from the point of view of Freeport, really, it's almost, almost like there, there, there were two Homer Flynn's. There was the person I became after I moved to San Francisco yeah, and yeah. got involved with the residents in the crypto corporation. Yeah. Um, but then when I would go back there, well, you know, I was still an echo of the person that left there in 1969. Right. And, right, um, right. and, and honestly, you know, nobody back there knows who I am. Nobody knows who the residents are. Right. I just went back there and I was, would be with my family, you know, for a week or however long. And right. that would be that. Right. Um, but, but what happened was that when Katrina hit New Orleans, uh-huh. um, there were a whole lot of, a sizable number of movies that had been um, mm. green-lighted, you know, and they were oh. getting ready to shoot. 
And Katrina just completely shut all that down. So right. what you had was you had these, these, these productions that were ready to go, but they couldn't do anything in New Orleans. So okay. somehow or other, somebody discovers Shreveport. Oh, wow. And Shreveport wow. is 300 miles away from New Orleans. Right. But it has a lot of the same things to offer. Okay. And, and <laughs> Shreveport... Downtown Shreveport is classic white flight. It's right. like right. Uh, Shreveport is, is is primarily a beautiful, older, empty downtown surrounded right. by all these suburbs. Okay. Uh, okay. But that downtown almost became like a perfect back lot because okay. it, because it, it looks like downtown America anywhere. Right, 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 uh, right. And and then you, but you still have some swamps around. Got it. Uh, and then the the officials in Shreveport were smart enough to see an opportunity there, so they started uh, cool, cool building building infrastructure, cutting tax deals, whatever. Okay. And I, I think some of this has moved on by now. Yeah, but yeah. there was a period there where the film and TV business was really flourishing and unexpectedly in Shreveport. So when you have young creative types, which, you know, I I, I, I flatter myself to say I was at one time back there, uh, they were fleeing Shreveport as I did. Yes. Uh, yes. All of a sudden more of them start sticking around. Okay. And and I made uh, contact with some of these people. Wow. And they knew who the residents were. Wow. And wow. so um, they were doing a, uh, oh, some kind of uh, art event yeah. in a way yeah, uh, yeah. That, that they called, not, they didn't refer to it as a scene, they referred to it as the unseen. Awesome. And so they, awesome. they sort of saw, saw the residents as the perfect mascot for their for the unseen. Uh, and course. so they asked me to come and do a presentation for That's that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and this was probably about 2013 or 14, yeah. maybe yeah. 15, somewhere back yeah. in there. Yeah. 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 And uh, so anyway, um, the people from Airlift. Yeah, were there, and they approached me at that point. Okay, and uh, and we kind of went forward from there. I remember the story from uh, Taylor and and Jay over there, just of being like, you know, super blown away by that encounter, and just the beautiful places that music can take you in terms of connecting with you, uh, yeah. and and what that meant and the significance of that. You know, I that you you know it all it all relates. Like when I first landed in New Orleans and met uh taylor for the first time i, I said yeah my f- favorite clarinetist is uh brian Poole," and he looked over at me and it just felt like okay this is this is family you know what i mean and he was wearing a, a residence t-shirt at the time and it's just like boom from there it kind of all un- unraveled you know this uh the influence that the residents have had on i like i y- y- you sometimes forget you think you're alone in this but this book reminded me of that the documentary reminds me of that i mean yeah get back to that legacy piece that we were talking about you know it's um it's got to be a, a thing of pride you know um yeah I'm, I'm really happy with the book i thought aaron did a fantastic oh, job with so with the beautiful book. i can't wait you know, for how many volumes do you think there will be uh supposedly three wow you wow know, that one only covers like the first 10 years yeah uh, unreal, so, uh, unreal yeah 
Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying the interview and I'm sorry to pull you out of it. In this next segment, the word Eskimo is referenced a few times and referring to the 1976 album by the residents of the same title. I want to acknowledge that it's culturally sensitive. Eskimo is a word from a specific time period and it's not appropriate today and no offense is intended toward the Inuit community. In interviewing Ronaldo, speaking of Brian Poole, in episode 28, they kind of spoke about their process, their creative process. I wonder if you could speak to if you were around back in the day when some of these masterpieces, you know, just they, they walked me through like their process for getting some of their rhythms, taking cellophane paper, putting it around a bowl and hitting it and making a drum. You know, this kind of really any inspirations or memories from a masterpiece, say, of like one of my favorites, like not available or to be a fly on the wall while that stuff was being recorded? I just wonder. Well, probably my favorite story. Um you know, the Eskimo album. Yeah. The Eskimo album offered a whole lot of room for, shall we say, creative or imaginative sound effects. And, um, you know, the the first uh, song on Eskimo is called The Walrus Hut. Right. And so, you know, <clears throat> they're out there, the Eskimos, supposedly are, you know, are out in the water and, you know, they're paddling and, you know, the residents got a big tub full of water and filled it up and they started splashing their hands to create the sound of the paddles. And, but they, they finally get to, um, the, the, uh, the walrus and, you know, I think, I think they came up with some kind of mythological harpoon that okay okay that, that that they would spin over their head so they got something that they spun you know you know to, to to create that sound effect but then it came time for bam something to, to hit the walrus and and kill it right and, and they kept trying different things and nothing sounded right and ultimately what it wound up being was a cardboard box <laughs> At, at the end of the day, a cardboard box makes a walrus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, he hit, hit, a, hit a cardboard box with his fist or something oh. like that. And it was like, that's it. That's it. <laughs>
that's amazing. That's amazing. I I, lo- I also love just the the narrative, like coming up with an album concept and just saying, you know, whether it be Mole Show or or the commercial album, just the the concept behind something like that. You know, reading that book again, drawing back to your book, the the, the book A Sight for Sore Eyes, Volume One. I was struck by how many of the fans and their their input talk about the commercial album being one of their favorites, right? I didn't realize that it was such a such a hit. You know, it's it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's surprisingly so. I mean, um, the, the thing with the residents is that you never you never really know about that kind oh, of no, stuff. No, you know? no, exactly. And I, I thought, I, honestly, like I, I, apart from my friend Matt, who got me into the residents way back when, I thought it was our little secret. And then we start seeing the residents live and realize, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is. And then you start reading that the, the book and you realize how far it spans. But it's yeah, it's, it's beautiful to get a window into the, the, those recordings and how much fun that must have been. Right. The the fun meter and the creative meter must yeah. have been cranked to 10. They seem like they're having a pretty good time in there. <laughs> Although I have to say that that the Eskimo album took place over four years holy shit and the majority of that took place over the last six months and and you know there there's an expression uh what is it um a man's reach should always um exceed his grasp something like that um in other words you know you should always be reaching for something that you can't quite get and um ultimately they had the concept for Eskimo early on. Yeah. But, you know, having the concept and the reality of actually doing stuff and, and taping it and bringing it to life was really challenging. Yeah. And they could, they were able to do a lot of little uh, short pieces here and there. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was really during the last six months that they, that they saw the process by which they could take those pieces and then add wind and add more sound effects and whatever, you know, to, to, to then get the effect that they wanted. For the what, what, what a vibe that record has eh? just atmospheric, like it's still to this day, like how was it made? You know what I mean? It's just, it's so, it's such, it takes you to such a place. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I always like about it though, is how, <clears throat> And this is true of any art, or especially of resident stuff. But you know, the residents love to keep keep their lines really far apart, so there's a lot of room to read between the lines. And um, once again, one of my favorite stories is my my ex wife, uh, the mother of my older daughter. What she used to do with Eskimo was on Halloween, she would put two speakers playing out onto the streets. And then blasted out to scare the kids on Halloween. You know, you know, I when family life intersects with some of the strangest art ever made, I I often wonder about that. You talk about the visits home to, to Shreveport to, to yeah. you know, when you when 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 you just have to be that normal person. Halloween. So not that Halloween is normal. Halloween is the residence. But right. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. But that's interesting. It, it, it's like I, the number of conversations that I've had about the residents with my family 
I can yeah. almost count on one hand. Is that um, right? Is that right? You know, I mean, I'm, I may say something about, oh, yeah, well, they're, they're about to go on tour again or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my brother, who is five years younger than me, um, at one point, totally out of the blue, he said something about, you know, you know, the Eskimo, I really like that. Oh, my. And it's like a, a completely blindsided. He wow. was talking about the T-shirt. Oh, Okay. Fascinating. Hilarious. That's amazing. Um, what, what does your brother do, just out of curiosity? Well, he's retired at this point. Um, okay. He was, at one point, the top uh, Chevy truck salesman of North Louisiana. Okay. Um, okay. There's a, a, a Chevy dealership. There's a couple of them, I think. Uh, in Shreveport, and he ran the truck department of one of them for several years, and that's what he was doing when he retired. Okay. Um, you talk about that album taking four years, and Ronaldo and the Loaf, Brian and David, also talked about Title and Limbo taking some time. You know, I, I'm I'm the kind of creative artist that I like to, and I'm getting better as I age, I think, I hope, where I like to take a little longer. Don't rush the process. But yeah, sure. were, the, were the residents sounded like they had a bunch of things going at the same time where they, it was kind of running concurrently? Or was it when it was time to produce Eskimo? Was that four years? Like, how, how did that look? Did they have a few things going all, always at the same time? Well, you then? know, during part of that time, they were working on Violence Fats, their Violence Fats film. Right. Um, you know, they recorded. Uh, duck stab uh, during a break in the Eskimo okay. 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 Uh, sessions. Yeah. Uh, there, so there's there a juggle. Little, yeah. Right. There's a juggle there, and and it yeah. it really did feel like a collective, at least from the outside looking in. That that it, it's a collective of of weirdo experimentalists doing this stuff. Um, how did that? How did those projects take take shape? Like. Were there driving forces to say this has to get done? Like you said, it ramped up in the last six months leading to Eskimo's completion. Was there a deadline to deliver the thing to someone or like, how did that kind of work? Um, There wasn't a deadline so much. Um, You know, as as you know, Sometimes as you sense the finish line is coming, you know, you get, you, you get this burst of energy to yeah. uh, just, it starts, it b- becomes a force of its own pulling you forward. The project's and, uh, done. It needs a frame, right? Like let's yeah, finish it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, you talked about you being the primary visual, like, like that's one of the voices that you, you, you your contributions um, that has remained cutting edge. Like when I look back and, and it, it's we're reminded of it in the documentary of things like freak show and just always on the cutting the forefront of, of technology there. Um, has Is that your style? Has that always been like a, a big motivator for you to stay on that cutting edge? I know you, the, the residents just did a VR thing with uh, Smearballs, who was on this podcast. Um, you know, th- how has that been to stay to remain cutting edge and how has that been difficult or does that come natural for you? Um, well, no, I mean, I guess I suppose it comes, uh, natural for me. I mean, um, you know, I have a sort of 
shall we say, a restless creative spirit and uh, always looking for new ideas and new directions. But once again, I'm, I'm, I am a collaborator and a lot of times working with other people um, brings in fresh energy and, uh, and, and ideas, pushes me in directions that I wouldn't necessarily. I, I mean, that point to that Smearballs collaboration, that's incredible, right? Nick is one of the, I mean, he's, he's, he's just doing it. He's one of the, the, the pioneers right now of that new art form, right? And yeah, the, the 3d animation it for, uh, VR yeah, and, and, and no, it, it, yeah. it's an amazing piece. Yeah, I was asking him to put me in that video. Just put my face in, in the audience, please. It would be an honor, you know, but yeah. I don't know if, I mean, maybe he did. I, I don't know. I'll have to verify that with him, a little Easter egg. Yeah, well, most of the characters are eyeball heads, so <laughs> maybe you're inside one of the eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Heads. I'd like to think I am. Um, I, I, as I said, podcast is called Industry Tactics. I'd love for you to speak a little bit about your unique perspective on what excites you most about the music industry, maybe highlighting some of the challenges the residents have had to overcome over the years related. Um, well, the thing that I think is most interesting about the music business now, um, you know, it, it used to be there were um, all these gatekeepers, right. You know, l- right? Labels primarily, but I mean, you know, you you could also uh, put radio stations in, in that same kind of category to some extent. And if if your music didn't fit within a certain category or appeal to a certain demographic, mm-hmm. there's no way it was ever going to go anywhere. And um, the internet has allowed, you know, uh, enabled access to everything. Um, and, and also too, the tools have become so, uh, accessible at this point. I mean, you can make an album on a phone. Um, right. How exciting is that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the flip side of that is that, Everyone's making albums on their phones. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right, like, right. You know, you 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 can now be a needle in the haystack, uh, but but the haystack is the size of the sun. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, how you yeah. how you get your stuff uh, heard, seen, uh, noticed is becomes a, a totally different challenge. That's that's nice. That's nice to hear. I mean, I I think of I mean, you know, just my experience in in getting to know the residents, right? How mind blowing that was when I first heard that music for the first time. But you had to hunt for it. There was no internet. Um, yeah, it was it, yeah. it was a different process to get to that underground vibe of of what that music was. You had to really be hungry and curious. And you're right. Now it's it's at our fingertips. But pros and cons to that, right? Um, yeah, it's really interesting though. But I love hearing the new relationship with the new labels and 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 how you've kind of rethought that. And and there's a a resurgence in a way there. I mean, let's talk about the residents at 2050. Uh, the when we talk about legacy or just or the theory of obscurity here, do the eyeballs get passed on like Menudo style? Does this thing live forever? Um, well, let's say there's an opportunity there. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 
The main thing is that somebody or some or some bodies have to come along that feel like one they're the right fit for it, but two have the the motivation and the creativity to to carry it forward. And I don't think that there's any doubt that the residents will be supportive and em- embrace th- those people, you know, when, when and if they show up. Um, but nobody's exactly seeing them on the horizon right now. So that's so interesting. I'm, I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I asked. That's exciting. It's, that's a, yeah. that's an exciting prospect, right? I oh, mean, it, it is yeah. indeed. It is yeah. indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you love most about all this when you look back on it? Like uh, in, ter- in terms of your career and your, your, your affiliation with the residents and what, what you've done, what, what, what do you hold closest or, or most fond in terms of uh, your reflection on it? Um, well, there are certain things um, and particularly musically yeah uh, that I feel like are a good reflection of certain moments in time mm-hmm. you know uh, and, um, and nice. if, I've, yeah. if I've been successful then I've been able to re- reflect that in you know uh, the visuals that went along with that and um, you know I, I always I always saw Eskimo in that regard uh, I always saw God in three persons um, in in that regard. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one of the more interesting and exciting things happening right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, there were several performances of God in three persons um, at the Museum of Modern Art in New York uh, almost exactly two years ago. And... Um, oh, wow. Wow. Everybody was quite pleased. I mean, you know, we were all, we were so lucky that that happened when it did because it it happened. Bam. I mean, that much before the the lockdown. Okay. And, uh, had it not happened then it might not have ever happened. Wow. Uh, Uh, Isn't it strange how life works that way? Right. You look, you look back on it and go, Oh, that was, we were very lucky to get that in. Yeah. And, and it was, it was a scramble to get it done. And, um, and there was talk of, well, maybe it's better just to put it off, you right. know, a couple of right. months or whatever. But there was a lot of determination there. And like I say, I mean, I've got a huge amount of thanks at this point. Um, but um, it, 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 been, well, we've been trying to get that back out again ever since. Okay. okay. And, you know, Did it go the, well. It, it was it, it went well. Went over it well. Went well. It went extremely well. Yeah, great. Extremely great. well. Yeah. Um, and so you know, the plague the plague gods have not cooperated. How how has the pandemic been in terms? I I mean, it, what a weird question. But like, just well <laughs> to live the, through the this. Interesting you know? thing about it. Yeah. it yeah. I mean, on one hand, there have been five tours that have five. been canceled, postponed, and or rescheduled. Um, but that then opened up everybody's, uh, schedule so that, um, right. there were things people wanted to do that they couldn't do that they had time for. And the, the primary thing is a feature film. 
And, um, Oh, Oh, wow. So, so, um, you know, I'd been trying to raise money, um, for a film Mm -hmm. going back to about, you you know, the theory of obscurity, uh, Don Hardy was the filmmaker on that. Yeah. And, um, in in gathering up all of the residents' film and video material, Mm -hmm. Um, he became incredibly charmed by the, the violence fats, uh, video st- stuff that they shot back in the early seventies. Uh, who, who hasn't been blown away on, on first viewing of that incredible imagery? Yeah. Life-changing. Yes. Go on. Sorry. Uh, so, so, um, he became so, uh, kind of captivated by it. Yeah. But that got the residents thinking of thinking about it again, and oh you know, the idea of of completing it kind of came up any number of times over the years. But but at, at some point they went, no, you're, you you so much of its charm is based on naivete, and you yeah. you don't yeah. go back and 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 recreate that. Okay. Uh, okay. But they said, but but the ideas are good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what if we took those same um, ideas and wrote a brand new screenplay re- recontextualizing those ideas into something more modern and, re- and rethinking uh, rethinking some of that imagery with a modern flair too or or not well re- rethinking the, the characters and yes. uh, and, the, and, oh. the, and the plots you know <laughs> that's that's you're blowing my mind that's amazing and and you know and that takes me back to the idea of okay, it took four years to get this one project done. Yeah. What if we're not done with vileness fats, but it, it turns into something else all these years later? Like, isn't that also the beauty of the artistic journey? That some of the points take a long time to finish. You go back to yeah. Vonnegut, you go back to Vonnegut. Robert Weedy spent thirty years filming him at the end of his life, and then another 15 years after he passed away to, to release this documentary. So it's not yeah. lost on me that this has literally taken a lifetime to, to, to put out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's sure. fascinating. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well, so, so I was trying to, they wrote a new screenplay. Amazing. Um, it was called double trouble. Um, and because it's doubling so much of violence, fat stuff and, and showing some of that material, but in a new, in a, another context. Um, so oh, wow. I was trying to raise money for it. I had raised some money yeah. and then all yep. of a sudden two years ago, bam, lockdown. Oh. Um, so with people's schedules opening up, um, the residents are kind of going, Hmm, Hmm. Well, what if we just take the money that we have, write a, a new screenplay? It's something that can be done with the money that we have. Okay. Okay. And, um, so so ultimately, it's called Triple Trouble. <laughs> I love it. And and the, the what they did was they took the protagonist from Double Trouble. Yeah. They moved him five years into the future. Oh. And so, you know, we had shot about 25, 20 or 25 minutes of the Double Trouble script. Okay. To, to okay. use as a, as a trailer, you know, to try to raise money. So we took that. And that then became um, flashback material, and so our our our, our protagonist, our hero, yeah. who um, in 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 double trouble, he had been a priest, 
and he was a priest who was very had become really lost faith and become very disenchanted with the church. Okay, and, and he's going through cool. a lot of emotional crisis. So we, we move him five years into the future, and he, he has left the church and he's become a plumber. And uh, because because from from his point of view, you know, he likes people and he likes to help people, yeah. and and plumbers help people. Yeah, sure. And, um, sure they do. But he has become um, very uh, emotionally isolated. You know, he's recently broken up with his wife, which was part of the problem before. And um, so he broke up with her. He left the church. Um, His his only real companion is an AI-enhanced drone. Uh And um, so you you constantly see him having conversations with his drone. uh, and, And he just... He just basically spins further and further out into this kind of crazy conspiracy theory mindset. This sounds fun. This sounds fun. Uh, I think it's fun, yeah. And it's like there was a um, 10 days of production yeah. um, a year ago this past October, and then it's been in post-production ever since. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I am right now finalizing graphics on the – the soundtrack uh, that will probably be coming out in June. Tri- uh, Triple Trouble. It'll be called Triple Trouble Triple as well. Trouble, yeah, right. Amazing. And 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 um, and the film, it's like ninety eight to ninety nine percent done. There, wow. A few little tiny uh, post production things. How fun! I, hey, listen, hats off because you don't hear this enough. Uh, how I'm glad I asked. How has your pandemic been? How how has quarantine been? It sounds like you, a creative soul, will never be held down, right? And and it sounds like you've made the most of it. Not that you haven't suffered. We all have, yeah. right? But yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, honestly, I consider myself to be quite fortunate. Yeah, yeah same, uh, So same. many people have been negatively impacted by this, and yeah, yeah. but you know, I've talked to a lot of people, and it's interesting because the 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 more artistic types in general, they kind of go, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad, but just gives me more time to do my wacky shit. <laughs> and uh, honestly, I yeah, have to say yeah. I fall in that category. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you've kept well. Um, we're, we're running at the end of our time. I am so honored to have you on this podcast. Uh, a final point for any young weirdo out there, looking to live a creative life, what might you give as a, a final golden nugget? Um, well, I mean, you know, ultimately everybody has inner voices, you know, mm. that, that talk to them on a regular basis. Mm. And particularly when you're young, your inner voice will tell you one thing and another and another, but just listen to that. And, 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 feel how that resonates no no pun intended <laughs> and and the, the the better you get at being able to feel that mm. that will put you on your path and just you know stay on it go for it you're beautiful i i, I wish you nothing but uh continued success and uh it honestly a true honor to speak with someone, you, you, you know, you've changed my life. Uh, the, the, the work that the residents have done has changed my life. And, uh, it means a lot for you to share 
and be on the podcast. So thank you so much. Um, you know, it's been my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, as I said, truly an honor. Thank you, Homer Flynn, for coming on to the Industry Tactics podcast. If you're new to the podcast, please subscribe. Uh, if, if you're not new to the podcast, thank you for your loyal listenership. And uh, please share this with as many people as you can. And we'll be back. I, I, it was fun to connect the dots in this episode with, uh, you know, the 144 uh, other episodes that we that we tie, tried to tie in as many as possible from the Nihilus Spasm Band to Smear Balls to you name it. We've done a lot here. Uh, Ronaldo and the Loaf, Later Hose and Lucille. Get into prior episodes. It's It's been a fun ride and it feels like it's just beginning. So thank you, everybody. We'll see you again next time on Industry Tactics.